Hello, welcome to the Literal Fiction Book Club, where we read books so you don't have to. My name is Sam Johnson, and joining me today is Alex. Hello. Troy. Hello, everyone. And Tom. Hello, everybody. This week, we're reading She by H. Ryder Hagg. She is the quintessential story of British adventure during the height of the nation's imperialist empire. The story is written as a manuscript sent to an academic for later publication, the author, another academic named Holly. In the manuscript, Holly recounts how he became the adopted father to Leo, the descendant of a long line of men whose destiny is to fulfill their vengeance on a sorceress in East Africa. Holly, Leo, and their manservant, Job, sails to discover more about this sorceress and fulfill the quest left by Leo's father. They are faced with many trials. After being shipwrecked and forced to travel up a river with a super cool British airtight riverboat, they are captured by the Amagahar people, but are informed that she who must be obeyed has ordered that any white man captured must remain unharmed, which turned out poorly for their Mohammedan traveling companion, the captain of their shipwrecked transport. It is revealed that Leo is the descendant of Calicrates, the lover that she had fallen for two millennia ago. Will Holly and Leo escape the grasp of the immortal and captivating sea? She? Read the book and find out. H. Ryder Haggard was the author of many light Victorian adventure novels such as She, his most famous being King Solomon's Mine. After a brief stint as a colonial bureaucrat in South Africa, he returned to England in 1882 and wrote several unsuccessful novels until King Solomon's Mine, which he wisely took 10% royalties on rather than the 100-pound upfront payment. He was an advocate for agricultural reform throughout the empire and a hard critic of Bolshevism later in his life. Developing a friendship over this opposition uh, with Richard Kipling. He died in 1925. How's it going, boys? It's good stuff. I, uh, I've read King Solomon's Minds. This has a lot of similarities, but uh, I don't know which one I like more. This one, I think, has a better cast of characters. I like all of the side characters with Leo. Yeah. I, I mean, my general impressions of, like, once we once we got to the adventure part of it, um and you know they were on the boat i've i was pretty hooked i mean i read the book basically in two sittings and uh the i thought the i don't know it was kind of like anime before anime is the way i felt about it you know? <laughs> what Ooh. can you elaborate on this please yeah, please explain yeah. Sam. <laughs> i mean it's just like it's bombastic it's over the top like she is this like seductress like all-powerful very uh, emotional woman with this like very melodramatic backstory about falling in love with calicrates and there's all this like mystery and intrigue and um and she's definitely you know, white like, too it makes it explicitly clear that she's not black she's like very white also uh, you know and i think this is something that we'll we'll get into later but i'd like to do a little bit of a compare and contrast to the movie that we watched the movie rendition of this but uh um you know and like leo is um i don't know like kind of like a I, i guess the only character attribute i can really think he has is like a slight amount of snark but like he's he's just like i am the most beautiful british man to have ever existed and um and they, you know, they will love me for it. Um, and I, but I did like, I thought that of all of the characterization of the novel, the relationship between Holly and Leo was the most compelling. I liked that a lot. I also thought Job was kind of like a funny character and just like the, like, especially at the end of the novel when he's, when he, um, she's leading them into the cave of wonders. Like uh, he's, when he's trying to get across that plank, 
I thought that was one of the I like laughed out loud during that whole scene. Yeah, he like <laughs> slips on the plank and like God damn yeah. it, Joe. But they're there the whole time. How like how fun is that? At the climax mm-hmm. of the book, the trio is still together. Poor mm-hmm. Muhammad is dead, and then uh, oh, Muhammad has a tough go of it. Alali is still around. Their like Sambo character is still yeah. exists in the little village that worships she. Yeah, Alali's fucking cool though. No, like he is. Alali. He is. They like just make him a caricature of like the jovial African. Like everything in this book is a caricature. It's awesome. It's like written for at the eighth grade reading level in the eighteen eighties. Like it's cool. It's yeah. just a little slice of history. Eighth grade reading level in the eighteen eighties is a lot higher than the eighth grade reading level in twenty twenty. I gotta say, dude, they <laughs> learned they learned Greek and Latin in school. Like that was part of their grammar school, which is why yeah. it's so prevalent in this. Like all the boys would recognize it. Like this is definitely written for boys of the empire. Oh yeah, and it. But the thing is, I I was went into it just kind of expecting just to to be an adventure. But like you know, it does deal with some more serious themes like eternity, life, life and death, uh, uh, theology. Like it's not just like a swashbuckling adventure. It kind of like touches on deeper themes, which I think makes it a, a lot more of a I don't know a touching read. You know, yeah, especially yeah. considering like you know, the, the loving relationships the characters have with each other and then with the super hot girl. And the imperialist <laughs> is like, these imperialist author, authors were just super nerds. Like, all this Latin and Greek stuff is real. And he, like, looked this shit up. And there's probably random Greek people that were named this um, that he, like, based it on specifically. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I appreciate it. I appreciate back in the day how much they knew about the past. Like people used to knew, know history so much more, it blows me away. Yeah. What did you think, Tom? Um, I mean, I was a huge fan of the book, to be honest with you. Like, I, I had a really hard time. It was probably just like my frame of mind when I first started reading it, because um, it was really like, I'd say like the first ten or twelve pages was really slow going, and I was like, "What the hell is going on here? Like, like where are we going with this?" But like you said earlier, as soon as they got on the boat. I was like, okay, here we go. Like random airtight boat. Like here's all these things that can't go wrong now. And like, um, as the story developed, even like the scenes leading up to like when they find the tribe, um, when they're going up the river, the descriptions of like the mosquitoes and like that whole scene with the two lions on the shore. And then they're like coming up towards the boat and he just blasts one away. And then an alligator like attacks the other one. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And it's like from that point forward, you just get really hooked onto it. And it was like an interesting blend to me because like Alex hit on this a little bit. But there's like some very clear like this is the character that I'm trying to like portray. And it's like your typical like gallant Leo like he's. He's not like a deep character. He's just mega handsome and like really fit and like this like um, epitome of like a British male at the time. And then Job is like kind of like the lovable oaf of a friend. Like even when he's getting like hit on by the women that causes Muhammad to like get absolutely blasted away. He's like the woman's hitting on him. He's like, why? I never like my <laughs> wife. Like, and it's like, yeah, he's like, it, about it. He's like, how dare you yeah. lady? 
<laughs> it reminded me of like how Alfred from like Batman. Like he's just like <laughs> prim and proper and like he's just like like inconceivable. Like why would you do something like this? Um but then at the same time there was like more depth to the story. Like Alex was saying about like the whole concept of like eternity and like um you know just it was it was an interesting blend where like some of it was like bombastic in the way it was being portrayed and very like in your face as to like oh this is that character but then there was more to the story than that and it was just like some of the things kind of came out of nowhere like you know the whole hot pot or hot pot scene like um where they're just sitting in the corner like what the f is going on and then um what's his face um i'm sorry remind me of his name the the de facto father of leo Oh, Holly. 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 Holly, thank you. Um, He, like, starts to realize, like, yeah. He, like, starts to realize what's going on, and he's like, I'll just blast him away, and just, like, shoots Muhammad through the chest and the woman at the same time. (laughs) And they're up on a rock, like, fighting off the savages. Leo's, like, taking them down. Holly's crushing someone's ribs. I don't know. It was just, like... Yeah, Yeah, the first scene before they get... Before they get to Aisha's kingdom... They're like when the people that are putting the boiled pot on top of Job's head and like Holly and Leo are just sitting there watching. And then they're like, oh, my God, like those natives, those savages are about to boil his head. And then they just like take out their pistols and like fan the barrel. And they just like kill people and run. They just murder like 10 people. (laughs) It's great. Like it's just like there's no consequences. It's just like this random adventure. They can do whatever the fuck they want. Go wherever they want. That's what I found so funny about it was it was just like it was engaging. The story was fun and it was like entertaining. But there was just certain things that happened that I was like, oh, this is where we're going with it. Like he's he's (laughs) rolling on the ground, crushing the ribs of this native. He's like, I can't let go. I'm going to suffocate him. And Leo's knocking down like six guys. And then um, Balali shows up and he's like, I love a good fight. I respect you guys. Like it was just like it was fun. I don't know. I really liked it to be yeah, honest. Yeah, back with when you. the British were not afraid to be manly, before they all got blasted away on the Somme, <laughs> they knew how to stand up and fight the Africans in Africa. Look at them now, man. Oof. Yeah, it's pathetic. Dude, you know what? I honestly think Boris Johnson has done a pretty good job recently. Do you? What? Comparatively. <laughs> Comparatively, it's, it's he been just a, put the country on lockdown, <laughs> dude. The Brexit, like securing Brexit in oh. a short time span, I, and nobody yeah. else have been able to do it for like three and a half years. Like, yeah, I'll give him that. It's that was over. like literally the one thing that he got elected for. So now he can exit stage right. But he was the third act of <clears throat> we have to fucking get this done. But if I was him, I would bounce as soon as humanly possible. <laughs> <laughs> I would have bounced the moment that shit was done because uh, it's not going to get any better. <laughs> nah. I think he should step down after COVID is over. It's like, he's this is his task now. He almost fucking died from it. Like, yeah. He's got to write it out. But yeah, he should step down afterwards. Or they should just hold an election because they can do that whenever the fuck they want. Mm. Yeah. And it's not, like, it's not like Labor would win. I mean... No. Ugh. No, somebody oh else from, no, somebody else from the Tories would win. Yeah, exactly. So it's not like the party would lose. Let's get back to the book. We don't need to talk about Boris. <laughs> yeah, we'll, get, we'll get to politics Johnson, later, later on, after book talk. The, Boris Johnson, the ultimate British man. I mean, he does know Greek. 
He does, yeah. Dude, he's such a funny chat. I've seen him argue against um, Mary Beard about if the Greeks or the Romans were cooler. And it was just like for charity, but there's a packed audience and it was actually like pretty entertaining because the Brits are witty. It's so funny. People compare Trump to him all the time. It's like Trump would be debating like if McDonald's or Burger King is better. (laughs) They are are really not the same. Um, Dude, I honestly cannot tell if Trump is dumb or if he's just fooling everybody. Like he's just so talented at what he does. I I honestly still do not know. I think it's both. I think it's just a healthy mix of both. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Just a healthy, stable, genial level of stability. Yep. Mental health. Mm -hmm. You know, oh, you guys haven't read Blood Meridian yet, but uh, there's a mentally disabled man. They keep chained up in a cart who like eats his own shit. And uh, (laughs) Trump. And that's Trump. (laughs) Trump has that quality in that he's just kind of like. He always comes out on, well, not this character comes out on top, but he, he ends up okay or whatever. You know what I mean? Like he manages mm-hmm. to just uh, get yeah, him. Get the- well, I guess he finally is, he finally lost, but it's like nothing he can do. Everything he touches turns to uh, gold kind turns of. Turns to average. No, everything he touches turns, turns to average. To average. Well, like, but, well, and there's any, no reason for it. Any other person would have been in jail or dead of a heart attack or something by now oh, dude, you know he I mean? might be he might be also i don't know what happened they must have been they have given biden some drugs because he's like he's got some pep in his step and i think they're gonna let him ride out a single term and become like a liberal reagan where he's just the goofy says some random shit but also occasionally pops out a good speech for grandma and grandpa like you think he'll he'll live through a term i'll live he'll live i, th- I think he'll probably die in the point of his first term and if he doesn't, I hope for God's sake they don't run him again in twenty four. Um, <laughs> but if he does, they'll literally be nominating the vice president to be the president then. Um, but if Trump runs again in twenty four, like fucking hell, they're just gonna win again. So, yeah, yeah, Trump's not gonna run again in twenty four. Well, well, I don't believe well, it. not if he's in well, prison. Woohoo! Let's do go back to the book, just like yeah. just like we're in the prison of Africa. Um, Dude, they are trapped, like, immediately. I don't understand, like, I always feel like they're in motion, which I enjoy, but at the same time, it's like, they never stop for anything. They, like, keep going, and then they go to the villages that are owned by Aisha, they go to her palace, they go to her house, and then they're on their way immediately after she tries to kill that woman to steal her husband. Um, They're like, all right, we're going to the Fountain of Youth right now. And it just like yeah. immediately goes, which is fine. Like it was a nice, pleasant read. I literally was on page, I think 125 about three hours ago. And yeah, I read probably two thirds of the book this evening and it's good. Yeah, it was really good. I mean, my own, only thing I can knock the book about is that this writer is extremely long winded. I, I do think this book could have easily been 200 pages. Oh yeah. Um, the show don't tell he... Uh, tells you literally everything it's because they unbelievable first person perspective which is kind of nauseating um, because it's like it's holly writing it and holly is recounting his tale mm. but it's like his journal but then there's like a forward and it's like all of this shit from holly was found by somebody else and it's just like i don't know it gets crazy lost in it but the basic story is fun. They go, they get lost in dark Africa and they have adventures. Does anybody else get annoyed at the like double commas around ands? 
Like that really fucking annoys the shit out of me. So I made I made this comment to you earlier, Sam. Not specifically about like the dumb double commas around ands. I didn't notice that, but like the amount of commas that are used is absurd. Like just throughout the story, I felt like there was a comma every four words. Like one how many that, fucking breaths am I supposed to take? Like <laughs> <laughs> one thing disturbed me is that like when you use a specific dialogue tag instead of just said or asked, he used ejaculated a lot. Like yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. Like at least I noticed in the part I read today at least twenty five times, and it was like, I mean, if you're talking about horny boys and it's like women are literally fighting over you this hot goddess from ancient egypt is fighting over you because you're actually the chosen one um yeah i could get why a british boy who's in the victorian age and like so repressed would like cream his jeans at that wait did they say his hit well you know it's one of my like er, well i distinctly remember in sixth grade reading hg wells war of the worlds for like a class and in that book he also uses the word ejaculated a few times but i did not know that word in any other context other than busting and it was like so confusing to me and my partner in this group project that we were like yeah what like was he like mid fuck like when he exited the room (laughs) that makes any sense he just got so excited he blew his load on the way out. That's all. It was like the old man <laughs> ejaculated out of the room. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> it's like like turbo thrusters on like a rocket. Like that's how you get out. Like, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what did we enjoy about... Uh, I got a question. I Sorry, I didn't write it in the notes. But uh, what did y'all enjoy in terms of the little like side quests? Because there are multiple little things that happen within the book. Like different dances and parties that they go to little cultures that they meet what was your favorite like little episode in the whole adventure i enjoyed the dance where they were burning the de- the desiccated corpses uh, oh yeah that's cool for light and like he sneaks off with uh ooh his the girl his wife i forgot her name utsama or something yeah i i like the uh um, when she shows Holly like all of the like the the I don't know artifacts that she's collected and uh, and that like giant pit of skulls, um, I like that a lot. Where because I thought that that scene in particular developed she as a like as a character, um, whereas for most of the novel she is just kind of like this very um, almost bipolar uh all-powerful goddess and um she's a crazy hot woman that can't die yeah right and uh but i thought that that scene in particular at least gave some like a little bit more depth to um the society that she ran you know in general and how she maintained herself over these two millennia I liked when the scene when they first got to her kingdom and they like see all of the beautiful ivory and ebony stuff. Whereas before it was like mud huts. Um, and now they're getting like further even beyond the savannah and they're like up into cliffs and stuff. And then her kingdom is like hidden away in the hills. I thought that was really cool. I liked when the scene where she and um, Holly were talking and she's like into him because he knows all about Greek history. Like, that was fun. I didn't expect that to be in the book. Um, And then, honestly, the scene where they fight off the cannibals who are trying to kill Job with the heated-up pot 
that was just like oh, a, yeah that was just a fun like uh act to like mini climax before they get there because i thought they were already at her kingdom but it was like oh no wait this is just like the one next door <laughs> they like still have to get to her place i also liked how um or tom tom what did you think was the most interesting little side quest well i don't know i think you guys hit on pretty much all of them which i would i would agree with just about everything you guys said but if I had to pick like one of just like the small things that happened um, outside of that was, I think, just like the scene of them, which I already mentioned earlier, but just like going up the river, I thought was like a really good addition um, mm. from like when the ship wrecked to actually like finding and being like captured by these this tribe. Um, I thought it was just an interesting way that he portrayed it with like, you know, just like all the mosquitoes and how uncomfortable they were. And then the scene with like the lions and then. Um, you know, what led up to that, like, you know, hot pot ceremony with Muhammad. Like, I really liked that as like a little sidebar because it wasn't like directly with the storyline. Like that didn't have to do with like finding she like they could have just been shipwrecked and immediately been found by this tribe. You know what I mean? Um, But instead they had this like little interim thing, which I thought was like a nice way to start the story. Mm, definitely agree. Um. So I did want to ask you guys about the uh, movie adaptation we watched because we watched it and then, you know, we all finished the book afterwards and I found the director's choices so very strange. Cause like at first I was like, okay, maybe this, like maybe this book isn't racist enough or something, you know, but like, it's plenty racist, you know, there's like the Negro's head mountain, right? Like there's all of this, like, uh, I don't know, like exotic othering of of the uh, the tribe's women. Um, although I think that the relationship between Leo and um, his tribal wife is is like significant, like uh, un- or rather surprisingly deep, right? It's not just that he's like wants to bag her or something, but like the the tribal wife is played by a white frontiers woman. Why did they choose the Arctic? You know, that was like another very strange choice. And then they like, like, I guess the, the dad part of it is like the, the Jobish character. But I just like, I mean, say what you will about the novel, but this is a fucking movie. Like it just like, this is a movie. This is like the British Patriot, you know, and it would be dope to actually see it like created, especially like with the um you know with like modern movie technology i just thought the director's choices were just all basically all wrong and inexplicable i can't think of a reason why he would choose to set it in that setting or treat it that way like oh and like like, the interchanging i'm sorry to interrupt you alex no go ahead no no you you, you, i said what i said i was just gonna say like the interchanging of like characters and like you know the 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 woman who replaced the tribal wife was like just some random like you know daughter of some guy like i i thought that like the details they switched around was awful and like my only my only point that i wanted to make about this was like i picture and i don't know if you guys agree with this but like i picture reading this book like a john wayne movie where it's like you have this like macho yeah. character and you have like the drama and the like you know like one-liners and just this like oh like the epitome of a man and like the story's dramatic and it's over the top and there's like all these like tropes and um you know overemphasizing on certain details but it's still like 
it still has that thing, like the way in America that we look at John Wayne movies. And for mm-hmm. some reason, the director took a story that is like outlined for you to do that and just like completely messed with the details and the characters. And in my opinion, just like ruined it. Like you had an opportunity, like, like a handwritten thing to just make this like typical, like British manly adventure novel. And instead you changed all the details that made it just like, eh, like, you kind of followed it, but not really, and, like, it's a story. I just felt disappointed about it. Do you, do you guys think that it was, like, miscegenation? Like, it was, like, that he was, like, in love with a with a person who wasn't white? Like, because it was for maybe. American I don't know. You know? Hmm. That's the only reason I can come up or with. I thought they might not want to talk about the Empire, because in the book they talked about Americans being particularly sensitive about, like, colonial stuff. Yeah. Being negative about it. So, like, maybe they just didn't want to get bad press and have to hear American backlash. Well, actually, they didn't give a shit what Americans thought. They just didn't want that word to get back to their subject. Also, at the time, I, I was thinking, the, the thing I thought when we were watching it was that at the time, maybe the popular imagination was taken a little bit more with, like, Alaska and, like, mm. the, the northern frontiers uh, than Af- than Africa. That it just was, felt so gimmicky, you know? It, <laughs> yeah, it was not... It, it, it it did not help. Consider this, and this would make such a wonderful movie, like such a good movie. Yeah, and you didn't even really get. I mean, I'm not. Maybe I'm misremembering, but you didn't really even get the last act. You know, like that was probably my favorite part of the story was when they are. You know, when Balali and well, yeah. So when they go into the Cave of Wonders and they come out, right? Like that's that's sick. I mean, like my when they when um. Holly and Leo had to cross back, right? And they had to like wait for the light to like come through that hole for like whatever it was, 40 seconds and jump across or like mm. fall to their doom. Like my heart was pounding. I was oh, like yeah. ready to fucking go. Like, you know, are they going to make it? And then obviously Holly being the, the lumbering ass he is, doesn't actually like make it the whole way. And, and then Leo jumps after him, you know, and, and helps him up or whatever. And that was like sick. That would have been awesome. Yeah, uh, but they just—I don't know—I don't know why they didn't. They just had her die, and then it was like, oh, I don't get immortality. Yeah, it was just uh, like, oh, the light of immortality comes, and okay, Aisha dies, and Job dies. Like, oh, okay. It's what? like, all right, we have to go now. It's like, what? So you just came all the way to the cave, like this is the climax of the book, and now it's just over. Now you have to leave. And I, but I thought that like for in the book, it felt a lot more uh, believable because Holly and Leo had this conversation about like, I don't know about that fucking thing, you know, like maybe Aisha like double dipped and that was why it was bad. Right. But like, I don't know, you know. Um, So, yeah, I just thought like it just felt like, yeah, yeah, it just felt like at least as far as the movie is concerned, it was like. Just a complete whiff on my part, especially because, like, I think of when I read this book, it reminded me, like I had mentioned, like John Wayne movies or like an Indiana Jones type feel. And it just naturally had that. Like the book itself is written in a way that it just naturally had it. And if you just didn't like change the details and half ass a lot of it, it would have just like had that feel immediately and been popular and been interesting and been engaging and they took all the details that made it like that and changed them or just omitted them. And 
I don't know. It was just like, it felt like a waste. It felt like if you turn this into a movie, it's right in front of you to make it that like Indiana Jones, like, you know, is he going to make the jump type deal? And they were just like, "Eh, like, no, thanks. Yeah. I mean, I thought about the last crusade, the Indiana Jones movie, a bunch reading this. Mm. Because I mean, it has a lot of the same themes. I want to rewatch those. I haven't seen them in like, since I was a kid. Um, Those movies rocked when I was like nine. Yeah, I bet they still rock now. Yeah, I bet bet they they do. do. I think I might. I think I might have to eat some edibles and revisit Uh, experience (laughs) and childhood wonder. Fuck yeah, dude! Uh, So another thing I wanted to ask was like, so what do you think women did to Haggard here? I mean, I saw his picture on Wikipedia. He looked like a pretty (laughs) handsome dude, but like somebody did somebody did that motherfucker dirty because like he is. He first of all spends a lot of time talking about how ugly Holly is, right? Like Holly's Holly's constantly talking about how fucking ugly. And then, I mean, Aisha is so beautiful that like neither Holly nor Leo will ever be able to love another woman. And I feel like I feel like this is a this is an autobiographical fact that we're not letting. Um, do you think like you know I don't know his wife fucked his brother or something like that? Like what, dude, there have been simps across time. Like <laughs> men have been desperate, men, have been, <laughs> men have always been desperate for women. Like that is a historical fact. And he, I mean, to to give Haggard credit, there was like a little footnote uh, after Aisha had like turned into whatever the a corpse, um, a, musing about the nature of beauty and how if she. She looked like that; they wouldn't love her as much. Mm-hmm. But damn, I mean, she sounded fine as hell. Like you know, me. I mean, to answer your question, I have no idea. But the same thought crossed my mind, where I was like, "Man, this dude is all about talking about how ugly Holly is and how beautiful this woman is." And honestly, I think that Troy said it perfectly. Is like simps have transcended history like it, it was there before it's there now you know yeah maybe he just like never could pull a girl or just wasn't good at it like he's a decent looking guy but he always just said like one dumbass remark and like he was like why can't i ever get the woman when like these other you know british scholars are just banging chicks left and right and like maybe he's perseverating on it i don't know but like <laughs> it was definitely there and it felt authentic like he didn't yeah. make it up that came from the heart <laughs> <laughs> oh shit yeah i wonder i wonder if he was one of those like uh like hi you too kind of guys <laughs> yeah he he he's he would be dming girls high on twitter Um, can you send me a mural of your boobies (laughs) (laughs) or like an ink print you know on a letter oh shit Uh, ink print titties bring it back um you know the only thing i I had noted to, to talk about today was the scene that like really stood out to me is is the scene when they're going through the the wrecked city of core and then they come across the the statue of truth, the the marble statue. Mm-hmm. Did that stand out to you guys at all? I like that scene. Yeah, it was beautiful. It was like like one of the best. I don't know. I was just like it. It it, it kind of stood out in in like this whole adventure, and just like his like kind of um kind of hammering it in that like because I mean obviously like the statue symbolized um um how do you say her name? Brett, you were saying it or. Troy, you were saying it. Aisha. Aisha. 
um, <clears throat> you know, like the fact that like Aisha was this like beautiful creature that just like is never really going to be able to be like appreciated or, or fully comprehended just because of like the nature of her and just kind of like that like fleetingness and that like I'm, I don't know if he necessarily meant it, but I thought about it in the way that like the thing that you can never have is always going to be the sweetest in your mind. Mm. Uh, I don't know if the, what the word for that is, but like the grass is greener. Yeah. And then like once you once you have it, once you have her, you know, in this in this instance, you know, it it will wither. Yeah. I thought that was like an interesting theme for him to be putting on a boy's book, you know? It's ble- it's bleak. It's it. The message of this book is very bleak. I think it's uh it's all right. It's one of a da- like dashing adventure, but not to get your hopes up. It's also I th- yeah. thought oddly sacrilegious for the time, and like mm. saying that she's older than God and Yahweh is just a descendant of uh, Baal mm. and the different gods of the Canaanite religions, like which he is, but or he's just part of that pantheon. Uh, but one scene that I really liked, it was on page 187. Uh, Holly, This is when she and Holly and uh, she are talking. Uh, Knoweth thou Greek also? Yes, O queen, and something of Hebrew, but to speak them well. They are all dead languages now. She clapped her hands in childish glee. O truth, ugly tree that thou art. Thou growest the fruits of wisdom, O Holly, she said. But those Jews whom I hated, for they called me heathen when I was taught them the my philosophy did their messiah come and doth he rule the world their messiah came i answered with reverence but he came poor and lowly and they would have none of him they scourged him and crucified him upon a cross but yet his words and his works live on for he was the son of god and now of a truth he doth rule half the world but not with an empire of the world ah the fierce-hearted wolf she said the followers of senses and of many gods greedy and gain factorn I can see their dark faces yet. So they crucified their Messiah. Well, I can believe it. That he was the son of the living spirit would be not to them. If indeed he was so, and of that we will talk afterwards. They would care not for any god if he not came not with pomp and power. They, a chosen people, a vessel of him they call Jehovah. I, a vessel of Baal, a vessel of Astaroth, and a vessel of the gods of the Egyptians. Like, what an interesting scene where he weaved in, like, something to ancient Egyptian history, but also, like, the Jews deserve what they get because they crucified the Messiah. <laughs> like, that was such an interesting shoehorn in. And also, like, yes, this Messiah is the son of the living God. It was like, wow, all right. Yeah, I, I think, too, that, like, especially in that dialogue, it, it occurred to me that... um that Holly is kind of like the stand-in for, obviously for the reader, but like specifically for this like British boy who's aspiring to be in the empire. And that conversation itself, because like Aisha is clearly not Christian, like it both makes her like a slightly more two-dimensional character and also makes her more alluring in a way. Right. And Holly is like the, like you in multiple of those conversations he was trying to um <clears throat> refute i guess or you know internally refute aisha's philosophy or not get into arguments about the you know nature of god or whatever and um i thought that uh that was an interesting dimension to kind of evoke from the reader and the more we're talking about it the more i'm like yeah that's for some horny british teenager 
you know. Oh, dude, you know, the yeah. uh, the thing for the horny British teenager is when he first meets Aisha and he, like, bursts into her, like, pleasure chambers and there's all these different rooms <laughs> and everybody's supposed to be kowtowing. Um, uh, let's see. It's page 168. He says, down, my son, down, my baboon, down on thy hands and knees. Enter the presence of she, and if thou art not humble, of a, of a surety she will blast thee where thou standest. I halted and I felt scared. Indeed, my knees began to give of their own mere motion, but reflection came to my aid. I was an Englishman, and why, I asked myself, should I creep in the presence of some savage woman as if I were a monkey in fact as well as in name? I would not and could not do it, that is, unless I was absolutely sure my life or comfort depended on it. <laughs> That's so fucking funny. And then I remembered I'm an Englishman and I'm not crawling before a savage. <laughs> oh, good. Good shit. Good shit, Leo. Great shit. I love that. I love that so much. And then I remembered I'm an Englishman. I imagine them with, like, the boots where they have, uh, like, wrapped socks up to halfway up to their knee so that they can be, like, trudging through the safari and through the desert as well as through, at the end, the marshes. Mm-hmm. Just a full fucking khaki getup. Hell yeah. Uh damn. Yeah, all the Englishisms in this book are, uh, uh, I don't know, they feel a little bit shoehorned, but I don't mind so much, you know? It like, fits our uh, theme pretty well. Dude, I this mean, is this book the British nails it. Book. Yeah, yeah, this book is just like the perfect, the part at the end where he's where he's explaining to she about uh, about their queen and how that she's beloved and, and just and fair, you know? like Oh my god, I love that That part. was incredible. That was That's incredible. That's when they turned. That was, like, not killing all those different people. <laughs> their point is she's like, hey, we should go back to England. And they're like, yeah, but we already have a queen. And they're like, yes, but I'll kill her and we'll become the queen. And they're like, um... <laughs> they're like, they're so loyal to queen and country. It's for the empire. Yeah, I don't know. I just, like, Pertaining to all of that, I just found it and I think not that it's uniquely British, but like when I read this compared to like if I read something from other cultures, when I run into certain things like the things that make you stop and go like, huh, like that's like super obvious what they're trying to point to or what they're trying to get at. Like it just was kind of charming. Like I just came back to like the fact that it was just like, huh, like that's funny. Like that's like. It was just like a charming aspect, like this whole um, kind of how I'd picture like Disney movies, if that makes sense, where it's just like um, like you were saying, Troy, it's like, oh, then I remembered I was British and I'm not going to crawl for like any woman. And it's just like um, it's so obvious and it makes you when you're reading it, like pause and think about it. But it doesn't like it doesn't make the story bad, which I guess is like a weird dynamic. Cause there's a lot of stories I read where like those things happen and I'm like, wow, that's like shitty writing or character development or like they should have done that differently. But with this story, I was like, huh? Like, Oh, it's the British. Like, you know, they just, they think of themselves a certain way. It's cute. Like imagine reading this as like a 13 year old though. And it's like, you just hit puberty and you're so horny. You like pass a doorknob and it like rubs your pants. You're like, Oh God. Like imagine reading <laughs> that scene as a 13 year old boy. And like, right. I'm storming into the goddess woman's palace and she's like wearing not very much. Um, and what is she doing? There's like a fountain and there's some of it that I read through very fast. There's couches. Yeah. There's yeah. There's like, just a yeah. shit ton of a description. Yeah, it's just, yeah, I mean, it's like there's the, I think, um, 
like curtains or whatever around and yeah there's all kinds of uh luxuries and whatnot but yeah i, I definitely get that troy like you're, you if you think about it from a, a you know early puberty perspective right like if there's this like incredibly attractive woman there and then you the the peasant looking englishman you know you're going to to stand up against her but you're overpowered by her feminine wiles. um I'd cream in my pants if I was a British 1800s. It's just like, you know. oh God, I can feel it in my loins. Like <laughs> the fire. Uh, uh, definitely. Yeah. Um, it was a good book though. It was definitely a good book. I enjoyed the read very much. And I think it's, you know, I'll be interested to see how the other books uh, compare and contrast to this. But when I was, when we were, when we built this section, I was imagining a book like this you know like this is the this is the book that i was expecting to read from this this uh unit here we've got a good selection this unit we really do mm-hmm. like we're gonna mm-hmm. have some hard-hitting stuff we got some good history that was a good social history it was good because it wasn't primarily focused on political it was focused on like the societal view of the empire and like mm-hmm. the communication commerce of it it was cool it was mm-hmm. different not what mm-hmm. I thought it would be. No, me neither. What is our next book, actually? Is it... I, th- um, I think it's Kim, right? Yeah. Um, Kit, yes, I think it should be Kim next, and then um, George Orwell, the Burmese days. Nice. Nice. And Kit, Kim is... Uh, how much later is Kim? Probably not very much. Kim was written in, like, 1904, I think. Early 1900, so like 1901. This, this is Victorian period. Oh, that's still the Victorian period. That's not even the Edwardian. But this was like the height of the scramble for Africa, the 1880s. Like the 1880s to 1900 was when they gobbled up everything. Mm, right. Yeah. Like it happened pretty fast, and it didn't last very long either. This makes me want to huh. read King Solomon's Mind. Dude, it's good. Yeah. Yeah, I liked it. It's uh, it's very much the same. It's of the same vein. It's a book for boys, uh, but it's. I always imagine like, what is the world, or like, what country is this supposed to be? Because they like hadn't explored the interior yet. So like, is he trying to imagine Tanzania in this book? Like, I think in the King Solomon's mines, they go up from South Africa and they go through Rhodesia, and I think it's supposed <laughs> to be. I don't know where it is, like Malawi or something. But they Mm -hmm. mentioned Lake Victoria in this book because like part of she is that she's like the queen of the source of the Nile, which is actually Mm. Uganda. Yeah, well, right, because this is East Africa, right? So Yeah, this is East Africa, whereas the other one is like South Africa. I honestly don't know where they end up. It's like both of these are just kind of like nondescript African places. Because like they also, start their adventure in Zanzibar, and then it's just like I don't know, they're off the map, a bunch of savages and cannibals from there on out. Yeah, I also like how the there was all this like hand waving at the end, where it's like, oh, you know, we're not going to really describe what happens after we escape their grasp because it's like it's in every East India, you know, or East uh, Africa um, adventure story, you know, that this is very normal, you know, we starved, and you know, we're we, it was hard. You know, we met some random tribe that helped us out. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it makes sense because he wanted to end the book. But still, I, I thought it would have been interesting to, you know, have some exposition on it. Yeah, where's the sequel, bro? 
I like that they had to go through a swamp for three days before they could get back, though. They like had, he had the appropriate length of, oh, yeah, they still had to travel back. Although that was only like four pages. The entire right. journey back was very short. Mm. Old Blolly being a homie. He was cool. Uh, so to move on to our uh, theme conversation, the letter of the week is I from Imaginative Appeal. So what aspects of this book, maybe setting aside the, the um, you know, Aisha as like the sexual object, um, appealed to the young male of British imagination? And um, what legacy do books like these have? You know, like what, what impact does this kind of, of novel leave uh, leave to others? It just shows when Britain was really like proud. Like it had not lost. I think it's so weird for us to even imagine it, but just like a world before... Westerners were like afraid to be proud of like conquering the world. Like they literally thought they were doing the right thing. They're like, we are civilizing all of these people. And this book reinforces that because all of the black people are described terribly. Um, poor Muhammad. Muhammad's probably described the worst. The, uh, the friendly Ahab, Ahab, the Arab kind of character. Yeah. I mean, I just like, uh, so I'm trying to remember the question and like actually pertain it to this, but um, there was just a lot of things in it that I felt were um, like just really making a focal point of like how proud they were to be British and like everything was like dramatic and heroic and like, you know, there's alligators eating lions and um, you know, there's the whole scene when they're traveling and, um, I can't remember if it was Holly or Leo, but he just like hops off of his like, you know, ride that he's got in style and just like shoots down this like animal and Balali comes over and he's like, are you going to show me how to do that? Like, you're so amazing. And it's just like the whole thing was very, um, I, I don't know, just interesting. Like there was no shame in the pride that they had as people and like what was being portrayed in the audience that it was being written to. It was like, this is your like epitome of like, it was like a Hercules type deal. Like if you were like, you know, Greek and you're thinking about like Greek gods and like Zeus and things like that, it just had that feel to it to me where it was like, we're proud of who we are and this is what we do. And um, we're doing the right thing and we're the good guys. Like, and we're going to make sure that we're really macho while we do it, you know? Yeah, they're busy playing team sports and smoking tobacco and killing animals left and right for, well, that's a sport too, <laughs> but they just, uh, I don't know, I don't, it's not jingoism, because like, that's not this period, but you still feel it, I don't know, just the sense of pride, it's interesting to see, like, obviously we have it as American exceptionalism, but like other countries that used to be the greatest power in the world, like the pride that you'd feel from but not in our culture's characterization. Alex? Mm. <laughs> I don't know. You guys have pretty much said it. Nothing to add. I do think Troy brought up a good point. <laughs> um, what, what's so fucking funny, huh? Oh, just Alex um, is like, I got nothing to, you know. I mean, no, they, they added all the spices in the pot. You know what I mean? I can't add my coriander or whatever. The, these dudes already covered the meat. They had the meat, the flesh, you know, I'm, I'm just here with the broth. There's no need for that. 
That's all right, dude. We got multiple questions. You'll get the next one. Not every question could be a home run, you know. <laughs> I just think Troy brought up an interesting point of the difference in, um, I guess, like how things are portrayed. Not that it's always been that way with like the United States, but when you're talking about like a country that is the world power, like the number one dominant country in the world, um, how the British portray themselves compared to like how America portrays itself and just like comparing and contrasting the similarities and differences between that is kind of just an interesting thought. Like, you know, America in 1960 compared to like uh, the British Empire in 1860 are similar in a lot of ways and the way that they handle it and portray it are different in a lot of ways. And that's just like an interesting thought. Well, yeah, for the British, it's just they are the conquerors of the world. They're uplifting people. They are the good, enlightened kingdom and empire. Uh, it is different for them than it is for us. But I think they definitely felt it at the time. They knew they were the number one superpower in the 1800s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, too, that like America uh, you know, has always had a fraught relationship with colonialism in general, right? Like it was... Um pretty well understood that like getting involved in international affairs um was not a like being isolationist is part of an american tradition um so it's kind of unsurprising to me that in the post-war post-world war ii period when america like has international hegemony that its immediate reaction is to feel guilty about it you know um at least culturally i would say you know obviously you have um have people who are extremely hawkish but uh um you know the media representations of these things um outside of like immediately following world war ii and you know all of the the i don't know like john wayne-esque world war ii movies and world war ii in general but like more or less like things about american imperialism are um are at the very least seen as having negative effects on American soldiers, you know, not, um, it's not just like a proud, invincible American, you know, defeating the savage or something like that. Um, well, the image that we have, or sorry, go ahead. I was just saying that like, you know, you, it's more of like what is psychologically, um, uh, damaging to the American boy who is sent out to do these things. Mm. Yeah. And we just kind of self-consciously dance around it. Um, and put on kind of a show of uh, remorse, at least these days, while continuing to do it, of course. But there's a little, like, pageantry surrounding it. Well, you can't stop, right? Like, that would be outrageous. How could you? You can't. No. I mean, obviously, (sighs) the defense bill has to get passed, but I'm going to do a a tweet about how I'm feeling bad about it or whatever fucking subhumans like AOC do. Really wish I could have voted no, but you know, like <laughs> uh, it's just so hard. You know, like you have to move your hand down a whole four inches to like make that little check mark. You know, no problem. It's like ah. Uh. I mean, did you see there was a Democrat who was like, "Do you guys really not want the troops to get a raise?" Fuck. It's like fuck that person. They can fucking choke on Satan's dick, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah, man. I, it's it's. it's, it's <laughs> It's just unbelievable, and they, they're also one of the arguments that Democrats are saying for why we had to put forward the defense budget was that uh, in it, there's provisions for renaming some of the bases named after Confederate generals. Oh. 
<laughs> Ivy Pole at its finest. Just imagine you just like I just want to fucking slam all these like Ye- Yemenis with some some fucking cruise missiles or whatever. But like I also it's don't want to offend black people in the United no, States. All, all of those missiles are coming from Fort Sojourner Truth, right? Fort <laughs> 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 yeah, Fort John Brown. <laughs> Tom, Tom, did you get the memo today from the? Leadership oh my shall, god shall, the leadership that shall remain unnamed but uh it, but they basically we don't like, have it, to name names but no oh we won't my but god. they like invoke the name of martin luther king as if it's jesus they do it all the time it's like the worst of the big liberal neolib organizations it's so funny it, it was hilarious and a little bit shocking because i've never been in like an organization that does those things and so I'm just like minding my own business working throughout the day and like somewhere around like one thirty, two o'clock in the afternoon, I decided to check my email and we got this email from this, you know, person of leadership that shall not be named. And it was the most like, um, I'm not saying that it was inaccurate in some of the things that it was saying, but it was, um, I don't know, just jarring is probably a little bit too strong. But just the way that it was written in the the last quote, like Troy was saying, it, it was this quote from Martin Luther King Jr. And the whole thing was just like this liberal, like um, painting a picture. And, and it was basically saying, like, I'm not taking sides, but this is the side I'm on. And this is how I feel about current events. And I was like, wow, that's an interesting thing to send out to an entire company. Like. That's yep. inappropriate. <laughs> and uh, all it of felt the inappropriate. And uh, all of the clients will see it as well. So Ugh. it's gonna it's gonna be a good time. It's gonna be a good time. That's all right. You'll see. The, these come out frequently, but that's just the way it is with uh, corporations nowadays. The people in leadership they like get their own platform. Like they frequently have podcasts or blogs or something because they have a captive audience of employees and so they just like regularly send these things out which like i don't know whatever it's just it's kind of entertaining to me but i found it i found it funny like i actually laughed at it i do find it comical but like part of it that i found comical was like okay you're a person who is like perceived to be important and like in a position of leadership and at multiple points it was just like contradicting itself where it was like we know that like you know there's a variety of people who believe in things in different parts of the political spectrum and like have different beliefs. But like at the same time, this is all wrong and this is terrible and this is awful. And like these people are essentially pieces of shit and like our democracy is ruined and like, you know, blah, 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 blah. And Martin Luther King Jr. Like I was just like, what the fuck is this? Like, Uh, I mean, you can have your own opinion, but it's like, go ahead. A few people had gone on a civil rights vacation in Selma, Alabama, and they walked across the bridge and they like went to a restaurant and yeah, they just soaked up it the was... nonviolence of black people getting beaten up and soak up the liberal tears. Just drink them up, get them all. <laughs> it kind of felt to me, it felt to me a little bit like somebody was just sitting on Instagram like all night. And like, I don't know if you guys, I'm sure you have, but like, there's all the memes of like, and there's validity to every little bit of this, but like, um, 
or each particular piece, however you feel. But like there's all like the surface level things like for the I guess I'd call it like uneducated or uninformed people um, where it's like this is what it looked like during like the Black Lives Matter protests in D.C. And like this is what it looks like during like the Trump protests. And it's the stuff if you like don't understand it or read into it and you're not up to date about it. It's like clickbait type stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and Definitely. the email itself felt to me like somebody was up until two in the morning and felt really strongly about these Instagram clickbait posts and felt like they needed to talk about it. That's the way it is, dude. And everybody's got a was, platform. And the future is now, man. We have the internet. We've got everybody can share their opinion. Little little fiefdoms everybody set up. Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's quite wild. But I don't know. I I've argued with a lot of my friends about it. I haven't talked to my family about it yet. Are y'all's parents down there? Um, they still I don't know are, if they're I back believe. yet. Yeah, I think they're still in D.C. They they made it back to their hotel. I don't think they were like... I think they cleared out before the National Guard cleared them out. But uh, Were they in yeah. the building? They get in? No. No. <laughs> they, were, they were heading to the Capitol building when all that shit broke out, and I texted them, and I was like, fucking... Like, I was... Heavily implying, do not go there, please. Like, <laughs> don't go to the riot. Don't go to the riot, mom and dad. <laughs> you guys are like in no. your sixties, you know. Like, calm down. They were literally in the train station at the stop for the Capitol building when everything went down. Damn, dude, and, I just—I don't know how Trump cannot have something he literally gave a speech to the crowd and told them they had to be forceful and told them to march on the capitol and then there was like the crowd was really big because he had told people to come from around the country and then there was just like nobody there it was just the dc police (laughs) it was like 25 cops versus like a mob of 3,000. But it wasn't even the D.C. police. It was the Capitol police, which are, from my understanding, like, not even that much, like, more important than fucking security guards in a mall. Like, it's not, they're not trained for this thing, you know? I mean, do you guys think they really didn't want them to get in? It it looked to me like they did, they wanted them to go in. And obviously, this is great for the the Democrats and their their billionaire friends, because they can take more of our rights away. I don't know. (laughs) I mean it. I'm not even kidding. I'm not even being a dick. Like No, yeah. I mean, it's just, it, it seems, it's, as you say, Alex, it's curious. Don't you think that in every other, I've been to a bajillion protests, including, like, right-wing protests in D.C., and every single time, there's fucking riot cops there. Like, you know, all of this leftist fucking talking points about how there's never any riot cops at, at right-wing protests. Like, that's not true. Like, I've been there, I've seen them, you know? And it's just like very strange to me that we have the rent-a-cops covering mm-hmm. the the Capitol building when they know there's going to be a mass gathering there. Yeah, yeah dude, I think there's shenanigans going on because they try to deploy the National Guard early, but Trump wouldn't. Pence had to do it. Pence, you certain Pence shouldn't have. He didn't have the legal authority to, but he ordered the National Guard in when they finally did come, and he didn't leave the building. Like, good on Pence. Pence. Pence held his ground. There was a couple of good moments of, oh my god, I tried to watch some of it, but it didn't end up till like 3.40 in the morning. But I saw a couple of good, uh, Mitt Romney had a good bit to say, Rand had a good bit to say, uh, none of the Democrats were that interesting. Gigi Hina had a cool story, but holy shit is she long-winded. I thought that the picture of the, the redneck in Nancy Pelosi's office is like, that will go down 
That'll be that'll be a history that's made into gotten into history textbooks. I think. Oh yeah, dude, for sure. So. That might, I think honestly, the one that's gonna take it though is the person carrying the Confederate flag. Oh yeah, you think so? Um, I think it's gonna be that or that the, flag the, uh, raised arms against the country. That dude, arm went under sh- arms. Never. That's the got one person who deserved flag. to get shot. They murdered that girl in cold blood, but like they should have shot the dude with the Confederate flag. Mm. Um, dude well they had like barred the door at that point and there were still congressmen in the building and there were people up in the lobby like i was like watching footage yeah. of people that were like praying in spanish and shit up in the lobby and then somebody like threw a uh, uh what was it like a coat rack or something to put hats on like through the glass and then one guy shot i think there was like three or four shots yeah, well, I only saw I saw the video. It was, just, it was one sh- single shot. I don't even know where it came from, and it just like what the guy shot through the glass. <laughs> like yeah. The yeah, it like nailed this chick right in the fucking aorta. Like she bled yeah, out so yeah. quick. Yeah, dude, he fucking oh, no, nailed her right in the neck. Yeah, but uh, and then they interviewed the guy convenient. outside, and he was like, "Oh my god, I can't believe that they're stealing this election." And that they're murdering people. They don't represent anybody. Like, we have to do this. Like, there's going to be craziness. And he's like, Jesus, like, this kid is brainwashed. He was, like, he was pretty young, too. But he, like, seriously fucking believed that multiple states had fraudulent election. Which just blows my mind. That people are that brainwashed. Like, but it's not even fringe right-wing networks. Like, Fox News would also put on conspiracy theories and say that the election was rigged when it's just not true. Like you don't fucking undermine the democratic process. I mean, the election was rigged in the sense that they chose the candidates from the start. Well, the parties do, Yeah, but like I don't, the process so of the it election itself, like, yeah, I guess, yeah, but, but it the is party systems different. I mean, so like, I guess, um, of it's the, still you choose that, apples like... or oranges that is not changed in the country. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's partially true, but I do think that there's definitely like some bullshit shenanigans that goes on. Like, I personally don't have any faith in our like election system as it is, regardless of Me who neither. wins. Um, I I would be willing to guess that there is a certain amount, probably a, a I don't know if I want to say significant, but like a um an above like just marginal amount of fraud that happened and that regardless of the winner that happens all the time and so yeah you pick between apples and oranges but at the end of the day like both parties have the money and the means to um do things immorally and i think that they do do those things i don't have much faith in it to begin with but only one only one party had their candidates storm into the capitol building like populism is not democratic it pretends to be but it's not I mean, I believe they stole the Iowa caucus. I don't. I don't believe for a fucking second. Oh, dude, yeah, primaries are rigged as fuck because yeah. primaries are party elections. The parties well, are so think, fucking corrupt. What do you think? All this, like all of the the you know all of the protests over this summer, like that was a clearly politically motivated thing. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, popula- populism isn't uh, isn't democratic, but like you know, I'm not like. I don't really take sides in this. Like, I don't like either of the ideologies that are presented from either group of people. But like, what? How could someone who dis, you know, who comes from the opposite side of the spectrum, possibly interpret what had just happened? Yeah. As like, like that, like that was clearly fucking okay. Like nothing was done about it for for weeks. 
Democrats you know, spent all summer. Yeah, justifying it. There was fucking autonomous zones in Seattle. And so you have, fine, like, you know, from the other point of view, it's like, okay, well, I guess we can just do whatever the fuck we want, you know? Yeah, I mean, like, Dr. Fauci went on TV and said, you can't catch COVID if you're rioting. I mean, they literally what? spent- what. Oh, yeah. they The Democrats and their news companies spent all summer encouraging rioting, demanding that people riot in protest and loot stores. I mean, what can a right winger or just a normal person do in the face of that? Like, they, this is the direct re- response to what they did all summer. I really That's how I that. feel about it. I mean, yeah, I, I feel I, like you've normalized something for one group of people in one particular ideology, and then you expect the other side to not do the same thing or not feel a particular way about it. And I just, I don't know. I feel like I just don't have any faith in our political process and the way that our media is run and the direction that the country is going. And I will find faults in both sides. What irritates the shit out of me is the people that are like so um, rigid and like hardcore about their beliefs that they don't even realize how they're contradicting themselves it's like you can't tell me that you think that the political system is corrupt and that russia like you know fucked with the elections for trump and did all these things for trump and then at the same time tell me that it's the cleanest thing in the world as soon as biden wins like you can't have one and not the other Mm -hmm. like it's either completely Mm -hmm. screwed up or not screwed up, or at least they're both screwed up in different ways. But like when your person wins or when my person wins or when this guy's person wins, everything's kosher in that person's mind. But as soon as you're the loser, everything's corrupt. It's like, well, no, the system is fucked. Like well, that's it is every, every four years. years. Every four right. years, the loser does that. But that doesn't yeah. mean they storm the fucking Capitol building and tell their protesters to break in. Like, honestly, they didn't loot that much. Like, they honestly did not cause much destruction. But it's not the point of that. The point is that the group was not, like, a social movement or, like, it was a political mob meant to stop a political process. But I, but my thing is, and I guess this is how I look at it, where we'll never know the answer to this. But if, if the same things happened, right, like, you... You don't have the riot police. There's all kinds of like sketchy things that happened leading up to it. And Trump was elected and there was a Black Lives Matter protest or a, you know, a liberal protest in D.C. And there's no protection. There's nothing on the Capitol building. Do you really think the other side wouldn't have done the exact same fucking thing? Hell yeah. I, I honestly don't care, though. Fake- I'm really tired of what about ism. This shit isn't happening. Like, there was a lot of Black Lives Matter shit, but that's like also just poverty rising up, like inner city poverty boiling over and people being pissed off about COVID and like tons of random things mixed together. But it yeah. wasn't organized by a single political party, by a single demagogue meant to overturn losing an election. That he no, specifically that's not what happened. Yeah, that's not what happened. That didn't happen yesterday. That's just not the reality. He literally said that, just that didn't it happen. wasn't what he wanted. He, yeah. Like, he, he conceded today him. over this. Like This yeah. fucked him over big time. And I think this fucked over his wing of the Republican Party. Well, yeah, this he's also just a, a fucking moron. Like His interference is, in Georgia I'm with you on that. His interference in Georgia cost them the biggest fucking swing, I think, in the last 10 years in politics. Georgia went from a vote vote for Trump and two Republican senators to two Democratic senators and a vote for Biden. Like, that's crazy big. 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, I agree with that. I I don't think anything that he has done has been politically savvy. I don't think he's capable of being politically savvy. He's a fucking idiot. No, he's, yeah, he's he's a wannabe autocrat. He's the ball. He has balls of steel. I have like consistently been in, in, impressed by like like how far he's willing to to have the gambit go. Yeah, he's know? a shyster bar none. Sure. Yeah, I think he's been cowed at this point though. I think this yeah, finally think was do, the yeah. thing. Like. He didn't. He definitely did not want this. I mean, he had to concede over this. Like th- this, I put him honestly think I don't, I don't think that hurt. political people. It's just it doesn't make sense when power is involved and there's a lot of tension to try to like prosecute a crime, which I know a lot of people are talking about. But you should bar someone from political office. Like that's good enough. That's what they should have done with Nixon. Like oh. pardoning him was the wrong mistake, and it like led to corruption and all kinds of shit. But on it, they also shouldn't have put him in prison because that's just uh, bad for the country. Know. Yeah, it's bad, it's bad to for the democracy. Yeah, it's bad to have political prisoners. But yeah, I think barring is. them from office, it like is damaging enough to their reputation. Also, what a fucking way to end your term! Like, who the fuck will ever want you to be president again? If this he's is been what shamed, happened? I think he's been shamed, and I think this has and actually tarnished be. his reputation. I I don't think this is. I think this really put in it because because the protest was so impotent and so leaderless and just so stupid it was just an expression of rage and i think if blm is an expression of inner city poverty which i i'm not i don't believe um partially there's a lot of shit going on yeah this was an expression of rural poverty uh for sure yeah yeah brought onto the capital i mean i think and i would say like petite bourgeois madness right that yeah that is also true (laughs) Dude, and There's white people losing it that we are not going to be the majority pretty soon. There's so many goddamn Latinos in the country now that yeah. pretty soon white people are going to be like 45% of the population. And people like can't handle that. It's the demographic apocalypse for the Republican Party. And then, I mean, that they know it's a fact. And then on if if we are talking about D.C. or Puerto Rico, it is over for the Dem- the Republican Party. I don't completely right, yeah. unless maybe. they they find a way to rebrand and maybe Trumpism is the rebrand. Maybe they just become the Democratic Party is the rebrand. I have no idea. The uh, hope, my hope for all of this is that this will destroy the second party system. Like we need a new party system where yeah. I really do hope that like the Romneys and the independents, like the people from Maine and Alaska, they can like break off and have a moderate right party that like everybody's parents can get behind and then everybody's racist fucking uncle can be in the reactionary party that's for trump and then there can be like a bernie party that has the squad of all the all the colors of the rainbow and then (laughs) and then you can have the center left party which is just like the corporatists that are you know like i think there just needs to be a healthy shake-up and basically destruction of the polarity of the power the party yeah, I hope so. I because hope so. they're fucking everything and like that, it, they're tied up with the media it's just i don't know man it's really they're nothing. destroying our country they're destroying they our really democracy are. They, they are really destroying are. our democracy um, factionalism is talked about a lot in the federalist mm. i had i my biggest aspirations and hopes for a sanders presidency was that he would destroy the democratic party that he would <laughs> just tear it in half I, I was like that's the best possible outcome is that it would just it may be a pegged by him instead. That's what happened. Oh my yeah, god. Twice. <laughs> I, I saw the fucking um the you know the email or whatever he sent out after this all these events, and it's just like he 
like what is the difference between him and every in like a Washington Post editorialist? Like there's nothing. You know, it's like this if this wasn't if this was it could possibly be considered a coup. It's like the worst coup ever. Like Trump didn't take advantage of it. He didn't say I'm the president, right? Like mm. the people who took control of it were literally wearing a Viking helmet. Like Yeah. You know, they stole a podium. They were taking selfies in fucking, you know, it was almost like Russian peasants taking the fucking czar's place and pretending that they were the, you know, deputy to the fucking, to agriculture or something like Dude, that. Dude, did you like, see the handicapable person that was a quad? <laughs> oh, there was a quad. There no, hands. Quads, yeah. no, no hands. No hands. No arms. They in no there. Like, that was nuts, dude. dude I will say it did not shine a positive light on... Uh, Trump's supporting cast, like the people no, that are like really for him and are like, oh, like we're gonna take back this country, like we matter. It was like, wow, those are the type of people I see at Market Basket, and I turn the other way. Like, yeah, dude, there's a pro- there was probably like I don't know, in total, like four thousand people, Trump supporters there, four or five thousand, but then there was like five hundred of the crazy people that were in the building. Like yeah. most people yeah. were just there doing their normal protests like they have been for the last two and a half weeks, waving flags and playing loud music. Oh my god. And then the black Israelites show up with that rock with our yeah. wire. They were like drowning out the Trump people for a while. They were like talking about Egypt and the pharaohs and how like they're the real chosen people. But then something about how like America was still young, but we desecrated ourselves against the first people which were also them. It was like, cool, 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 cool. I love the black Israelites. They're behind they're, everything. They're, they're behind the Nicholas Sandman incident, famously. Yeah, that was awesome. That was fucking so cool. Yeah, dude, they go and uh, fucking find that kid. <laughs> dude, they took him for all, like, he took him for all they're worth. Yeah, of course. All right, well, let's keep talking about this, but let's wrap up the pod. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right, so next week, um, are we going to be reading the Olive Kim? Is that the plan? Uh. Uh, how, how long is him? It? it looks. I think big we should do two weeks, like half and half. Yeah. Okay, so we'll be reading the first half of Kim um, by Richard Kipling, and we will see you all next week. Thank you for listening. Have a great night. Bye. Have a good night, everyone. Good night. See my Jesus and his glory.